be seated. Hope you and your family had a great Christmas. Thank you for all of you that came out to share it with us on Christmas Eve and, and throughout the four Sundays of Advent. It was just such an amazing season. It always is. Very blessed to be here today and that Christmas is now behind us in the rearview mirror and the decorations at my house are down. Hopefully in this house they'll be down as well by next week and we will begin the new year together. All right. So we celebrate what God has done and what he's doing and what he has planned for us. And we're very grateful for all that God has in this moment for our lives. I want you to know that some of our kids went to uh, a winter camp uh, over the past few days down in Patagonia and had some snow on them and some cold and different stuff going on. But in spite of that, uh, God was doing some great things and answering prayer for our youth. Very grateful for Pastor Stephen, for Michaela, for the, the assistance that helped him with the youth group and their family, and, and we just want to say publicly an appreciation to them before they get dismissed. They have, at the end of the month, they do a youth service during this time of worship, and so I just want you to tell them thank you. Would you give them a hand and just say thank you? <clears throat> thank you, Pastor Stephen, Michaela, your family, all those the friends that help and all that, and kids uh, that are from sixth grade to senior in high school. You're dismissed to the youth service downstairs if you want to slide out of here. We're glad you're here, and we welcome you, and uh, we're glad that you're part of what God's doing in our youth. God bless you and strengthen you in your faith. Yeah, we need you. Yeah, the youth, we need them. They're awesome. <laughs> God, give us the, uh, the just go for it that the kids have, you know. Sometimes as we get older, we kind of get slow in what we do and stuff. And so I just encourage you to just love God. Let him do some great things with you. He wants to do incredible stuff. So you've been living your faith this week? Okay, so usually I ask you some accountability questions. I ask you if you've been reading your Bible, praying with the Holy Spirit, sharing God's stories, giving as God has asked you to give, time, talent, resources, inviting anybody to church with those great come and join us cards. They're here on the platform. We got new ones. And in the back, we got some new coffee mugs, too. If you're a visitor and didn't get one, you, you can get one of those. We'll make sure you get one, okay? Um, if you're an older attendee, you got to buy them. Uh, <laughs> we're glad that you're here, though. We love you. Um, so thanks. It's so good to be in God's house. And I'm, I'm asking you the, the accountability questions that we ask every week. When I ask you those things, it's like, are you living your faith outside of church? That's what we're asking, really. Are you practicing daily disciplines of faith? Are you walking with Jesus? Is, is your relationship with God real? That's what it means. So I'm going to ask all of them together at once and ask you, did you live your faith this past week, and is your relationship with God real outside of church? If it is, say yes. yes. Thank you, Jesus. That's amazing. I just wanted to hurry up and preach, so I figured I'd get that done and we can get on with it, right? All right, the reason that I did, though, is because God's so incredibly awesome. I, I want to share with you, Oni was reading, Oni is, um, was reading the verses over here. This is her, the long black hair. Um, I'm going to tell you that what she read to you, I'm going to add to it by reading more of what we had. And the reason I'll read it will be understood as we go through the service. But the scripture that she read to you was from Jeremiah chapter 29. You do remember probably hearing about Jeremiah during our Nehemiah series there that we were talking about. And Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. And the reason why is his messages always brought a message of destruction. The 
people were not living in obedience to God and God's judgment was coming and they didn't listen. And Jeremiah continued to speak God's word of warning that judgment was coming, judgment was coming. And his heart was broken at the lack of response from the people and the message he was hearing from God. And he struggled with delivering the message that God was giving him because what he saw was that the pagan people that were coming to destroy Jerusalem and Judah were way worse than his people were. And God said, you don't worry about who I use to bring my judgment. I'll take care of them. You just do what I say. All right? And that's what he told Jeremiah. And Jeremiah's heart was broken. And so as Jeremiah continued to preach about the coming destruction, and finally it was a sealed deal, that King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were coming against Judah to destroy Jerusalem. Finally, God gave a message of hope to Jeremiah. <laughs> Here you go. It doesn't start out too good, but it's a great hope. This is what the Lord says. This is Jeremiah 29. You all have heard a lot of these verses. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. God put it to a date. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Ladies and gentlemen, as I read to you the prophetic words of Jeremiah, these words that were shared to the people in Judah and the city of Jerusalem were fulfilled when Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the city took them captive, and they were in captivity for 70 years. It was these words that Daniel began to read as a captive in the, the country of Babylon. And it was the prophecy of Jeremiah that made him realize, we're almost there. And he began to pray. And he began to pray towards Jerusalem that God would honor the promises that he gave that they would be set free. The Babylonian Empire fell. And Cyrus became king. And Cyrus made a declaration because God moved in his heart. And he set the captives free and said, anyone that wants to go back to Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity can go back and rebuild the wave of people came back in fulfillment of what God said. He said, I will do this, and I will do this for you, and I will restore you. Remember, church, we've been talking about Nehemiah. So now as they're going, that 70 years, now they're there in Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple, but they just stop, and they're living in their brokenness for 75 more years. God gave them a promise. I just read it to you. God didn't say, just come back and live. He said, I'm going to restore your fortunes. In other words, he said, I'm going to make you fully functioning, fully prosperous, fully organized, right back to better than ever. God said, that's my plan for you. 
Now, we were following along in the last four weeks in Nehemiah, and last week when we finished the wall and the gates, and I said, we're done with Nehemiah. I'm driving on Thursday and going to the hospital to visit Mike and, and Rick. Rick's home last night. Mike's still in there, so we're praying for them. But I'm driving, and I'm listening, and I'm listening to Psalms, and I'm going through the Bible, and I'm like, God, where are we going? I had assumptions, right? Because God gave me a goal for 2019. Each one, reach one, teach one. So I'm thinking I got to listen and God's going to give me verses and we're going to have this thing going in that direction. And I'm driving. And I'm driving down Speedway, heading down there, and it was just like in the middle of that. God just said, uh, you said we were done with Nehemiah, not me. <laughs> Love it. You know, it's like great stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but the wall's done, man. <laughs> the gates are up. I mean, it's like some great stuff there, and that was awesome. And what a great series to preach through Christmas. I mean, it's like the nuttiest thing. It's amazing. God's awesome. And here we are. And so I was like, okay, I'll go back there. What is it? So the next chapter, you know, is chapter 7 from where they rebuilt the walls. And it's a, uh, it's a census. It's, I'm sure that every one of you have read that, and you're so excited because it just gives you a list of names, the whole chapter. And as we read chapter 7, it's talking about the residents that had a right to be in Jerusalem. And so I'm reading and listening and, and thinking about this, and I'm like, wow, you know, that's pretty cool. But if we did that today, and I had Cindy, who's our, our board secretary, uh, come up here and read the membership roles, everybody would be like, I, I, I. Hey, anybody not have their name on there, you should sign up and be a member. That would be a pretty awesome message, you know, and we'd all be excited about that. And that's what it is. But you know, church, I want you to know that it's pretty critically important that your name's written down. And God tells us that it's the Lamb's Book of Life where our names need to be written because there will be a census given in the end and there will be a recording of the names. And the only way you get your name written in God's book is through Jesus Christ. And so if we're not written down and recorded in the kingdom, you're not going to be a resident in the heavenly city. And so it's pretty important that we understand that our name's written down. As boring as it may sound, in the context of a census, it's critical for us for all eternity. And so, if you're not, you need to be. But we can go to chapter 8. We're done with that. And so the very next thing I see was so cool, man. It's like, God is so awesome. So here's the deal with Nehemiah. Think about this. The promises of Jeremiah are known people are living for 75 years in dysfunction even though God made a promise isn't it crazy that we wait for God to do it when God said here it is and all we have to do is act on it and God gave them this promise but they were living in their brokenness instead now I look and I see the completion of that wall I shared with you last week you can go on Google after church not now and you can search the, the wall of Nehemiah and you can actually see pictures that are on the internet of those that are digging in Jerusalem today and the archaeology that they've discovered, the wall that Nehemiah built with the people. And as I'm looking at those pictures, I'm getting chills in, in, inside of me and I'm looking at those rocks and I'm thinking, you know, we look at names in the Bible and all we get is a couple names, but there's whole families and groups of people that are building. And I think, you know, the hands that touched those rocks that built that wall. And it's like, there it is. It, there's evidence 
that not only God is good to his word, because he's good to his word, history shows that Israel was taken into captivity, that Judah was taken into captivity, that Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, just like God said it would happen, it happened. And then, just like God said, he would restore them, it happened. And there's evidence, folks, tangible, physical evidence, that not only is the word of God true, but God is true, and God is good to his promises. Those stones stand there as a witness to the promises of God. And as I look at that, I'm saying, God, help us right here today in Christian Faith Fellowship to put some stones down that are tangibly evident that God is real, God is good to his word, and that his promises are real in our lives. I want to live a life that leaves a legacy where people can look and someday find evidence because of what I've done, what I've touched, and my obedience to God, that people know there's a God, that God is real, and he's the God of the Bible. What about you, church? Amen. I want to do that. So God, let's do this. And so we're looking, and he's calling the people together, and here's Nehemiah. He's a man of action. The walls are up. That's the vision he had. That's the plan when he was back in Persia. He gave the king the plan saying, I'm going there to build the walls and the, and the gates and restoring the city. It's done. All right? So, you know, when I do my job, now I'm done. I'm just going to check out and go somewhere else and do something else. It's not the way it worked. Even though that was the goal, that was the purpose, now everything's set up. What's next? What is next? Because what happened in Jerusalem was not only did they build up walls and gates, kind of fix some social structure that was within the city and within the hearts of the people, but there was still brokenness existing. You know what was left? Spiritual brokenness. The brokenness of lives. The brokenness of relationship with God. There was brokenness within the people of God and their understanding of what it meant to live for God. Nehemiah saw this. He'd been living with them. And so he's not just going to say, well, my job's done. I've done enough here. That's good. We're done with this. No. He's saying we need more. You know why they needed more church? Because unlike the song we were just singing, like I'm a survivor, we're saying what Jesus did for us and redeeming us. What had happened in Jerusalem, they'd had, they had developed another type of survivor mentality. What they had done is they had learned to be in existence with the enemy overrunning them. Like a survivor, like I just got to make it through today. I got to get by. And they lived that way. And they didn't have to. For 75 years, they lived like survivors. Now God was doing something in their midst. And Nehemiah saw they needed to get some structure about them understanding that there's more, so much more. Okay? More than surviving. So now I'm going to look at our own church of Jesus Christ in the United States. And I say over the past several decades, the church has been in survivor mode. The enemies run rampant, and we like just kind of step back. The church has used the end times prophetic message to symbolize it doesn't matter, it's all over anyway, while we've cowered in our corners with destruction everywhere. And I look at the city of Jerusalem, and here was a promise. 
And they could have just said, hey, God's good to his word. We came back. We're living here again. But that wasn't the fullness of God's promise. And now I want to say this to you, church. This is Dave talking. This is not, I'm not telling you I have a prophetic word from God. I'm telling you that this is what I believe. I don't believe we're living in the end days. The end days started at Pentecost. So yes, in the context of the fullness of God, we are living in the end days. No doubt about it. But I don't believe this is the end. I don't. And you know why? Because I see God at work in incredible ways, and I see so much more that he wants to do and can do. But what we in the Church of the United States have done is we've put prophetic words of God in the context of our country. And so what we see is because of the utter destruction, sin, and the brokenness of the dysfunction of the United States, we say it's the end times. But God has not placed his prophetic calendar according to the history, future, past, or future, present, or future, on the United States of America. I mean, God's not like, oh, what am I going to do? The United States is falling. He's not like freaked out about this. He died to save us. But church, here's what I see. I see a church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America who has allowed the brokenness and the dysfunction of sin in this world to cause us to live in survivor mode instead of understanding that God is God and He is powerful enough to change the brokenness of our nation. He has proven it in history. Church, I just read it to you. God said to His people, when you call on me, I will answer. I will show up. I will restore you. I will make you whole. We don't have to just say, oh, screw the United States. We're done for anyway. Come and get us, Jesus. It's time for the rapture. God's saying, I died to save those people. I want to redeem them. We can become whole. But church, we've cowered in the corner. We think it's so dysfunctional and so broken. We can't do anything about it. And we've let the enormity of the project keep us in our dysfunction, just like the people of Jerusalem. And God's saying, I've given you promises. I've given you a word. I've given you a job to do. Get to it. So Nehemiah calls the people together. What's the next step? I'm glad that's over with. Man, we're done with the law. So let's read in chapter 8 and see what's up. All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. Before I read anything else, I just want you to see that. All the people assembled with a unified purpose. Why are we here? Why are we here? See, church, we assemble together not to do church, not to check our spiritual calendar. We're here to know God and know what he says to us, to live a Christian life, to be what God died to make us. A unified purpose. We're here for God. The people come together. I love this part. You gotta please pay attention to this. It's really important. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses. Who asked? Was it Nehemiah? Look what the Bible says. All the people assembled together and they asked, Hey man of God, read God's word to us. We want to know what God has to say to us. 
which the Lord has given Moses for Israel to obey. So on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the whole assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who would understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Did you hear that? From early morning till noon, all he did was read God's word. And the people listened intently. Nobody checked out to check what was going on Facebook. Nobody texted someone else, checked the latest scores. Man, they were listening to God's word from early morning, let's just say 7 a.m., until noon. They were listening. Man, today in the church, if you're more than 30 minutes, it's like, hello. Where are we going for lunch? I don't know if we're going to be there for lunch the way this is going. Maybe we should go for dinner. I mean, these people were standing there all this time, and they had their kids with them. Listen, this is God's word. You know why? They came together for a unified purpose. What does God have to say to us? See, what was going on is God wanted to reveal to them a relationship of living. Church, a living relationship. But they had to know what he had to say. We've discovered as we've read through Nehemiah that Nehemiah knew what God said. That's why he was acting at what God said. But we obviously know the people didn't know what God said because they weren't living it. So now they have a leader that's saying, hello, let's do something. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for this occasion. This is what I love about Nehemiah. He's so awesome. He's like, you know what? We got more work to do. We're not done building the wall. Now we're going to build a platform. And there's a reason for it. That's why we have platforms in church today, because of Nehemiah. And he built the platform for this purpose. You know the purpose? Check it out. This is what it says right here. It's the coolest thing. On a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion, to his right stood, and there's names of six guys. To his left stood seven guys. Ezra stood on the platform in the full view of all the people. So everybody knew it was all about them. Personal. Check it out. This is what he says. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen! Amen! That means so be it! You wonder why some people in church say, Amen! It's right there in the Bible. You know what was happening? They were hearing what God had to say to them about their life, and they were saying, So be it! Amen! That's truth! Now look, as they lifted up their hands, sometimes Justin, like he did today, will ask, Let's just raise up our hands and praise God. There you go. This is what's happening, church. Truth is being delivered to the people People are hearing the truth, and they're like, yes, God, it's truth. Amen. And they're lifting up their hands. And you know this is a universal symbol of surrender, right? Right. But did you know it's also a message to the brain? 
doing uh, the I had the electric, you know, they do the impulses of the brain and stuff. And you know what they've discovered? That what happens inside the brain is when you put your hands like this, it sends a message of joy. Is that crazy or what? In surrender is joy. I mean, that's scientists telling you, man, if they just wake up, they prove God all the time. They do. Come on, man. It's right there. It's in the Word of God. And they're like doing this. Amen. And then what's happening? They bow down and worship with their faces to the ground. God, you are so amazing. God, thank you for your truth. Amen. We worship you. Come on, this is a five-hour service of instruction, of saying, this is what God asks of you. This is what God wants from you. So do you know what's going on? They're hearing this, and they're like, oh, my goodness, I screwed that up. Wow, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Wow, I'm not even, whoa, you mean I got, that's how it's supposed to be? Seriously, there's five hours of this going on. The people are so jacked up. And he's reading the law to them, and they're like, we are screwed. <laughs> I'm serious. Read it in the context of the word. They're like, this is crazy. The Levites, and they named the 13 guys standing there, then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their place. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. So there's this revelation going on of... <gasps> Wow, that's what God means. I love it. Here you go. You ready? This is the cool part right here. I mean, it's all cool, but this is so amazing. This is my man, Nehemiah, again. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So get the picture, man. They're like hearing what God says to them, seeing they're not doing it. Their heart is struck with conviction. They know they're jacked up, and they're crying, and they're like, oh my goodness, I am so messed up. And they begin to cry and mourn. So in the middle of all this that's going on, and the understanding and the instruction of the word of God, all of a sudden, what's rising up from the people is just a sound of weeping and mourning. Nehemiah, even though he's not the priest, the prophet, royal, he steps up on the platform. Wait a minute. This today is not about like I'm screwed. Today's like, wow, God day. That's what he's telling them, church. This is wow, God day. Stop with your whining. Stop with your sobbing. You need to celebrate this amazing God has made known to us what he has done, who he is, what this is all about. It's time to celebrate. It's not time to mourn. It's not time for us to weep. Man, it's time for us to know that this amazing God has called us to a life that is a relationship with the creator of the universe. Man, they'd been practicing what they knew, but they didn't know the truth. And so what they did know they were trying to do, now truth was being made known to them. Oh my goodness, church. Come on. And Nehemiah continued. Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our God. 
before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay, so just, I'm going to read again, but I got to stop because it's like, I'll read it. And the Levites too quieted the people, telling him, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's word and understood them. Man, is that awesome. So here's the thing. We had Christmas last week. That's a date on the calendar. Everybody celebrates because you're supposed to celebrate. Here, the Jews had many festivals and feasts and celebrations. I mean, you just have to read the Old Testament, know their faith, understand the people, and they're all about celebrations and festivals. This was not a festival. This was not a scheduled feast. This is what Nehemiah did. Today, you need to go home and have a party because you know God and He knows you. You need to go home and celebrate the fact that now you know what God wants from you. You need to go home and let other people know that you know what God wants from you. You need to go home and not cry about it, but you need to celebrate that you know what God wants from you. Man, that's great stuff. Man, there's a time for sorrowful repentance, church, and we feel it inside of us. But I honestly, before today, don't ever recall preaching a message where I would call the people to celebratory repentance. But that's what we're doing. This is what God was asking. I mean, what, what, a, what better message could we have on the last Sunday of 2018? I mean, when you're looking at what God's doing, it's like the craziest thing. God is so good. I'm too dumb to figure something like this out. And I'm just like, oh, that's what you want? Okay, let me start putting down my notes. And I'm like, whoa, that makes sense. You know? And I'm like, I'm amazed at what God does. I'm, I'm being honest with you. That's, I mean, it's God, man. And I'm looking at this like, yep, we definitely need this. And I'm messed up. See, the, the people got together for this very purpose to know what God wanted from them. This is what it said in the very beginning. They came for a unified purpose, and they said, give us God's word. You know, church, today, um, God asked, I told you I'm committed to change all the time, and God asked me to do something very different today in the worship. And, and as I said, I already, already um, God is doing something different inside of me about all of this and understanding who he is what he's about, and what he wants from me. And so as I look at that, I want to celebrate that. And church, we need to celebrate. We as a church. You know, there's times where we just need to say, thank you, God, for what you've done, man. I mean, God has done amazing things in your life. I don't care how jacked up you still are. I mean, seriously, I mean, just think of how you were. And now you have a reason to praise God. And so you should do that right now. You have to wait for someone to tell you, man. See, these people have been lost in their ignorance, their brokenness, their dysfunction. All the same, you know, like they're just... And yet, there was this incredible promise. I read to you from Jeremiah. That at this point in time, was almost 200 years old. Are you hearing me? And so that promise that I read to you from Jeremiah laid dormant for 75 years simply because the people did not act on the promise of God. And now 
they started acting. And as they moved, God moved, just like he said. Now when they look around, it's like, God's doing something. All right. All right, then stop crying for a minute. Let's celebrate what he's doing. God is actually doing something. Church, I want you to know God is actually doing something. Look around you. The people in this very room, God is doing something. We as a church need to celebrate that. We need to pause for a minute and just say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing. Their lives were getting put together. Things were happening. It's time for celebration, time of worship. Man, it's all about understanding God's word and who he is. So that's why we're here, right? Isn't that why we're here? I mean, it is. Here's the deal. We know this. Everybody in this room, if you hear my voice, you either know this or you're going to know it in a moment. We celebrated Christmas last week because we know God came to earth as a man to pay the price for our sins because we couldn't do it. That he died on the cross for my sins and yours. That on the third day he rose from the grave. That he ascended into heaven on the 40th day after the resurrection. We know that on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks that the Jews celebrate, the, the Holy Spirit was sent down and the Holy Spirit came and baptized the believers. And the promise of God was fulfilled in that the Holy Spirit comes and fills every believer when we repent and we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We know that God's word says in Romans 10 and 1 John 4 that the Spirit of God comes as a witness to our heart that we are a child of God. Church, we know this. And if we know this, we have reason to break forth in amen, amen. Thank you, God. We praise you and we worship you today in celebration. That is God's truth. I mean, come on. We, we shouldn't be... I mean, this is not a correction. I'm saying this encouragingly, saying, you know, we shouldn't have to be told to celebrate. We're redeemed, right? I mean, come on. We ought to be like, I'm redeemed. Wow, I'm not that guy. Look, man, stop for a moment, would you? Let's just look at 2018. I'm not that guy. I am not that guy. If I look back to 2017, I'm like, oh, thank God, I'm not that guy. <laughs> 16, 15, I'm looking back and I'm looking, I'm like, God, you're amazing. Oh my goodness, God, you are merciful, gracious, and amazing. When I look back there and I'm like, oh God, I'm so sorry. And he's like, Dave, look up. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I'm not that guy. I am not that guy. This is what God says in his word, church. I read this to you last week, the week before, maybe both weeks, I don't know. Second Peter 1. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. I have a bunch of other stuff there. That's all I'm going to read. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Oh my goodness, God has given us everything. Praise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's given us everything. Everything. Look at that promise I read to you. God had given all those people that promise. I have plans for you. I've got something for you. I mean, it was there. And when they finally like, oh, that's for me. I'll take that. Yeah. Then God started doing something because he could. 
God has provided everything you need. Oh my goodness, man. Grab a hold of it, would you? Just grab a hold of it. And right now, I want you to celebrate what God is doing. So, at the, each, at the end of all my messages, uh, you know, I started several years ago giving action steps where I bring you to this, well, I'm not, I, I need to stop talking, you know. So I get action steps there to say stop, dummy, and ask some questions and let them go. And so I do that, and I've done it for several years. I don't even know how many years I've been doing that, but the reason is, is like, hey, you know, when we hear God's word and we hear what he's saying to us, we need to act on it. We need to respond. We can't just, like, hear it because, I mean, there's been enough preaching to save everybody, right? And until we do something with what's being taught or preached or taught or teaching or whatever, until there's application, nothing's changing. And so the reason for the action steps is, hey, people of God, let's, let's own this. Let's become this. And so in this last service of 2018, as we conclude this, what we are being asked by God to do today, and I share with you, is that God is asking us to celebrate all that God has revealed in our life to this very point. We are being asked to celebrate all that he has allowed me to understand about my walk with him. He is asking us to celebrate all he has already done in my life. He is asking me to celebrate the victories that he has provided. He's asking me to celebrate the repentance that I've had to go through to see the changes that he wants to bring in my life. He is asking us as a church, and me specifically, to celebrate the power that is available in my life because and through the Holy Spirit's work. This is a day not to mourn and weep. This is not a day of repentance. But today God has asked us as a church to celebrate the amazing God we serve, to rejoice in who he is, to rejoice that he has revealed himself to me. Come on. I mean, God, the creator of the universe has made himself known to you. That ought to overwhelm you. That ought to make us like sit back and be like, whoa, dude, that's crazy. So I'm, I'm a man of action. I, that's why I like Nehemiah. It's like, let's do this. Let's go on. All right, we're done building a wall. Let's build a platform. Let's make something else happen, you know? And that's like when we were announcing we were going to three services, I was like, man, I got plans for service four and five. All righty, we're not even doing three yet, but I got those going for Sunday night and Friday night. They're in my mind. I'm always looking at what's the next step. How can we do this? We got one van. God's blessed us. Let's get a second van. Now we need a bus. Let's make some things happen. And you know what I mean? I mean, that's the way my mind is. And so I'm always looking for the next thing. But I mean, God's just challenged me. And, and, and he asked me a question that I want to share with you. When is the last time you simply praised God for where you are right now in your spiritual journey? And I'm like, oh, God, you know, I do thank you while I'm going to the next deal. I do praise him. I do all the time. I do. And I want you to hear me right. I mean, I don't mean that in the wrong way. I'm just saying, like, I, I know that I'm just praising him. But he's like, when you, when's the last time you just stopped and, like, did that little glance back and, like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Look in the mirror and, like, I'm a different guy. And he, and he wants us to pause for a moment. Everyone in this room. And you look back on 2018, I don't want you to look at 
each and every thing that's going on back there, but just think of who you are in Christ. And as we look, and I'm like, wow, God, thank you. I mean, when's the last time you praised him because you knew you needed to change the way you were living? <laughs> thank you, God, I know I need to change. I praise you. <laughs> I praise you that I get to change again. Right? When's the last time you did it? That's what he was telling them to do. Celebrate it. <laughs> psalm 150. Let me read it to you, church. It's the coolest, coolest little psalm. It's only six verses long. Ready? Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with the blast of a ram's horn. Praise him with a lyre and a harp. That's not a lying person. That's a lyre. It's an instrument, by the way. Praise him with a tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, this is Psalm 150, man. You know, it's cool. What I love about this is he's like, well, maybe you're not all dancers. That's fine. Maybe you're not all singers. That may be a good thing. You know, I want you to praise God with your tambourines at home. Don't bring them to church. And, but what he's telling us is this. He's saying like, can you guys actually just do something, make some noise about this amazing God that you serve, kind of like praise him in some form, some way. Yeah. Psalm 150, he's like, hello, everybody. Somebody do something about this amazing God we serve. Fill it in. That's what he's telling us. And the apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, always be full of joy in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. Oh, my goodness, man. As we stop and look back over last year in our lives, man, we got to celebrate the changes God has already made in our lives. And with anticipation, even if you're going through some really messed up stuff right now, I know we're going through some hard stuff. You could still celebrate and know that you can trust him because God is good to his word. He's good to his promise. He's going to take you through. We can celebrate that. Taking the time to reflect and celebrate who he is. And so God has asked me not to have action steps today. Not to call you to repentance. Not to ask anyone to come and meet Jesus. Believe it or not. God wants me to give you a farewell celebratory verse in love. And I read this to you from the bottom of my heart that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And I read to you these words. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters 
so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Church, that is my prayer for you. That is my heart for you. That is my heart for God. I love you. I am so grateful for what God is doing in your lives. I cannot tell you how blessed I am when I see you. When we had communion the other night on Christmas Eve, and I was standing here in the midst as people were coming forward, and I would glance up at the people as they were coming forward, and I, I see your stories. I see your life. And I'm just like overwhelmed. I'm like, God, you're so incredibly awesome. None of us would know each other if it wasn't for Jesus. And here we sit in the presence of God as a family of God who will know each other for all eternity. <laughs> Get used to us. <laughs> and, and I mean, I'm just like, God, you're so amazing. I am so amazed. And, and thank you for loving me with, you know, who I am and what I do. And thank you for loving my family. Thank you for loving each other. And as the Apostle Paul says to us right there, and from my heart I say, let that love overflow and continue, church. As we leave the house of God today, we leave in celebration. Not in mourning, not in sorrow, but we need to leave with joy in our hearts about all that God has done. Oh my goodness. I, I need action steps, so I stop. I do. <laughs> I, my heart is full and overflowing, man. I cannot tell you all that I feel inside and all that God wants. I am so excited about what's coming to us. Are there challenges? Absolutely. I don't care. God's bigger. Am I going to deal with stuff? Yep. Am I going to deal with it with you? Yep. Some of you are going to be, you know, a prayer issue. I celebrate that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I mean, God's bigger, right? I mean, I may be for you, and that's okay. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's just amazing to me that God loves us like that. I'm celebrating with you where we are. Let's celebrate what God is doing, okay? You better just get up and walk out, because I'm not going to stop. God bless you, man. He loves you. God, we praise you. You're an amazing God. We love you, Lord. God bless you. Happy New Year.